Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. That's actually called Hell's Gate Crater. It's in a little country called Turkmenistan. You get bonus points if you can find that on a map without Google today. It's uh, named the Darvaza Gas Crater. It's an interesting little piece of geology there. It was, uh, it's about the size of a football field, square footage-wise, uh, very deep in the earth. Um, it was discovered back in 1971. The Soviets were drilling there for petroleum products, and they punched through there, and they noticed that in the, in the drilling process, it began to release all sorts of toxic, nasty fumes and gases. And at that time, it seemed like a good idea. Well, well let's just set it on fire, right? I mean, why not? And so that thing has been burning since 1971, uh, releasing natural gas, and, and it's been burning ever since. The, the Turkmenistan government, I'm sure that it's just an outstanding, not corrupt organization, is trying to turn that into a tourist attraction. Uh, I'm not sure I want to go see Hell's Gate in Turkmenistan anytime soon. And though that clearly isn't the real gate to hell, I... That image is sort of what I would imagine hell to be like. Uh, a place of eternal fire that, that is, is burning. I mean, interesting, looking at that, it was all on fire. There was, of course, the, the lot of fire in the middle, but the whole thing was on fire. And so it just, just didn't seem like a, a great place to, to vacation, saying that today. Uh, this morning, that's our little bit of an introduction to what is a very unpopular topic today. It's very unpopular because people don't understand the gospel. It's, it's not uncommon to hear a phrase like this, how can a loving God send somebody to hell? Let me tell you something. Before I met the Lord, I didn't need God to send me to hell because I was doing a perfectly good job getting there on my own. I need the Lord in a lot of ways, but I didn't need the Lord to send me to hell. I had that covered. Now, who knows how we got into this position today where, where we don't like this, this topic. Who knows how we got to this, this idea that we, don't, we doubt the, the idea of hell. Maybe it's because the liberalism of the last century watered down doctrine to the point that, that people simply don't trust the, the plain words of Scripture anymore. I mean, I think we experienced that. Perhaps it's because of the, the hellfire and damnation preaching that, that used hell as a hammer to, quote-unquote, beat the devil out of people. Maybe it's because of all the nonsensical, non-biblical television preaching that's going on today where people on the screen are too busy fleecing the flock to worry about the souls that they are fleecing. Perhaps it's all of these. Perhaps it's something else. Whatever the reason, the topic today puts Bible-believing Christians like us on the hot seat, defending a doctrine that the culture doesn't understand. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I have every intention of telling you the honest-to-goodness truth about hell. And you would do well to pay very close attention 
and let the text that I'm about to read scare you enough that, that you listen to the God who offers you an alternative. But listen to me, an overwhelming majority of the people in this room today are, are Christians. And at some point in your life, you, like I was, you were on your way to hell, but the pathway took a radical turn when you met the Lord Jesus Christ. And now I fear that far too many of us have forgotten where we were going to the point that we no longer care to tell other people where they are going. And so my prayer today is that this text that I'm about to read will cause a burden on us for our ones. Now again, this may seem like a cute strategy. Who's your one, right? That's a good way to grow the church. Everybody brings a friend that's lost. and everybody, you know, That's a cute idea. That's a cute strategy. But if we can be real for just a moment, your one is a real person with a real problem. And God has placed your one on your heart for a real reason. And unless something happens in the heart of your one, his eternal destination is a real place called hell. If you've got your Bible today, open to Luke's gospel, the 16th chapter. Luke chapter 16 we begin reading in verse 19. If you've found your place and you're able, would you please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word? There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame but Abraham said child remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish and besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that's been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses, and they do not hear the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the precious instruction that it brings. May we be convicted today by what it teaches. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. What a story Jesus has told us here. 
And it's full of vivid detail, detail that in some ways makes us a little squeamish, details that we perhaps don't need to understand the, the content of the story, but the details are there nonetheless. We have two men in this story. We have a rich man who had all, of li- all the trappings of life, and we have Lazarus. This is not Lazarus, the man that Jesus resurrected, rose from the dead. This is a different Lazarus, but he's a poor man who, who, who begged for, for scraps at the rich man's gate. When they die, their eternal destinations are revealed. The rich man goes to hell and Lazarus goes to Abraham's side, a, a, a picture of, of what paradise and, and heaven must, must be like. And we're left with this, this, this challenge that's here. We're given the perspective of the man who is in hell. And the story leaves us with quite a problem. It's not permitted, we're told here, for any eyewitness accounts from hell to be brought back and shared with others. That means that that nobody's allowed to come through this door and and proclaim and say, say, Pastor, may I have a word? I've just visited hell and I have a word to share. It's not allowed. Besides, Abraham here says that if they've got the word of God, it doesn't matter that an eyewitness from hell comes back and tells them how hot it is because they've got the truth of the word of God. They don't need an eyewitness account. No eyewitnesses are allowed to come and share with others. Nobody who's gone to hell has been given the opportunity to come back from their trip and share pictures on the screens. This means that the only way to avoid the misery of this place is that it must be communicated by the word of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way a lost and dying world knows that hell is real is on the testimony of the church proclaiming the true word of God. Now, I think we need to remember this. I said it earlier, but it bears repeating. God doesn't send people to hell. In fact, John chapter 3, verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. God's intention, God's desire is not that anyone would be condemned. That was not the purpose of the mission of the Son of God to come and condemn the world. That's the absolute beauty of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus took the wrath that we were due. He bore our punishment so that we might not stand condemned, but instead we might stand as blood-bought believers saved by the Lamb. He bore our punishment so that we might not stand condemned. Men and women, we were on an interstate highway straight to hell. But God stepped in for us and changed our direction. Richard Baxter was a Puritan pastor. He certainly had a convictional understanding of hell. He told his church, he said, here's how you spend the day with God. He said, let God have your first awakening thoughts. Lift up your hearts to him reverently and thankfully for the rest enjoyed the night before and cast yourself upon him for the day which follows. 
Familiarize yourself so consistently to this that your conscience may check you when common thoughts shall first intrude. Think of the mercy of a night's rest. And how many have spent that night in hell? How many in prison? How many in cold, hard lodgings? How many suffering from agonizing pains and sickness, weary of their beds and of their lives? Think of how many souls that night called from their bodies terrifyingly to appear before God and think how quickly days and nights are rolling on, how speedily your last night and day will come. Observe that which is lacking in the preparedness of your soul for such a time and seek it without delay. This morning, I want to consider a simple story of hell and what its implications are for the church today. The first thing we need to remember is this, hell is eternal. Freddie Gage was a longtime Southern Baptist evangelist. He said this, when preaching, remember that eternity is too long to be wrong. I think it's true for us in our lives as well, that if you're going to be wrong, you're gambling with something that lasts a whole lot longer than you can imagine. I've done a lot of funerals in the last 20 years. And there's been one constant. And the Bible is clear about this in so many ways. This life is not the end of our existence. And every funeral I've done, it doesn't matter how they died. It doesn't matter how many years they lived. It doesn't matter if they spent all their money on the finest vault and casket and headstone or if all they could afford was a pine box and propane. I have a 100% success rate. Every single funeral I've ever done, that person still exists. Their bodies have been disposed of for the time being. This is true forever and ever. Hell isn't purgatory that you hopefully will get out of one day once you've served your time. Hell isn't annihilation as the Jehovah's Witnesses believe where you simply cease to exist. Hell isn't reincarnation where you come back as a lesser life form to pay your penalty and hopefully you get it right this go around. Hell is eternal. We mustn't miss this. Secondly, hell is a place of pain. The rich man declares this. He says he is in torment. I don't know that I've ever experienced physical pain that I would describe with the word torment. I've been to the doctor. You've, you've had this experience where you go into the emergency room for something and they say, Mr. Carroll, what's your pain level? And, and you know, you've got to work that, right? Because if you say a 10, because it's a scale of 1 to 10. You give that big red frowny face with sweat. You tell them, you point at that one. And they think you're bluffing, right? And, or you're, you're, you're hooked on opioids or something, and they're just going to give you a little something. But, but if you throw a 10 out there, they think you're lying. But if you go too low on the scale, then they're going to look at you and say, what are you doing here then? Like, I don't think you should go to the emergency room for anything less than a 5, right? I mean... Tylenol manages less than a five, but you start six or seven's a good place in the emergency room, right? I think a torment, and I don't think torment fits on that scale. I don't know where it falls. Maybe a torment is a hundred out of ten. 
I, I don't know. I've never been tormented before. But the, the Bible describes this as a place of unquenchable fire. And to be honest, I'm not sure that we have the vocabulary to describe the level of misery of such a place. Hell is a place of pain. Thirdly, hell is a place of fear. How many of us, just a moment of honesty, you've ever had that experience where you're driving down the highway, maybe it's after dark, and you feel those eyelids start to get a little heavy, and the next thing you know, you hear, anybody ever had that experience? Those rumble strips there on the side of the road are pretty helpful for you, right? Because they're called rumble strips because they're designed to shake the living daylights out of you and remind you that you have just done something stupid. And if you're paying attention when you hit those rumble strips, that's, a, that's, a, that's designed to fear you. And I, I've done it before, and you immediately are snapped into, into awareness. Your heart's racing, the adrenaline's pumping, and you realize you just almost fell asleep behind the wheel. And thank heavens for that rumble strip to wake you up. And, and I'll be honest, if, if you don't pull over and take a break or let somebody else drive or get some coffee, get some fresh air, you're going to do it again. Those rumble strips are designed to scare you into making you aware of what just happened. Hell is a place of fear. These, these words, these, this word of warning is designed to, to scare you. When you hear what it's like in hell, it is designed to wake you up. When you leave here, you ought to hear the divine roar of the rumble, strip, rumble strips underneath you. You ought to feel the wheel shaking. And if your soul is okay after you hit that, then at the very least, it should scare you into worrying about the soul of your neighbor. Fourth, hell is a place of sadness. In Dante's epic poem that we know most often as Inferno, we recognize that as Dante, the author, enters into hell, there's a sign above the door that simply reads this. Abandon hope, all you who enter here. You know what's so sad about hell is that there's no hope for anyone that ever goes there. I can't imagine not having any hope. I mean, as a Christian, even if, even if I'm diagnosed with a terminal illness and the doctor says, brother, you've got six weeks, even then, as a Christian, I have hope. The Bible says to live is Christ, to die is gain. If the doctor says you've got six weeks to live, oh, it may be a rough six weeks, but bless God, when the end of that six weeks is over, there's something to hope for. I can't imagine never having hope, but hell is a place of sadness where there is no hope. There's no praying them out. You can't be like the Mormons and get baptized on the behalf of your deceased loved ones. It's a place of sadness. Hell's also a place of isolation. Think about this for a second, if you've read your Bible. Nowhere in the Bible... Does it describe the lost folks of hell fellowshipping together? 
You don't see that. It's not like they all gather up and have a hot beer to talk about their sorrows. You don't get that option. Sadly, sometimes that's what's communicated. That I'll go down there with all my hell-raising buddies and we'll have a big old time. No, friend, you won't. It's not possible. It's a place of isolation. What's the rich man doing when he gets to hell? We're not told that he's going around looking for his friends. He's not looking for people that he can hang out with. The rich man, when he gets to hell and he's confronted with his reality, he is praying. And what's he praying? That no one would join him. That no one would join him. Hell is a place of separation. Notice verse 26. There's a great chasm that keeps things separated. There's no visitation rights. Some people have said that hell is hell because it's separation from God, but I think it's more accurate to say that hell is separation from God as Father. Because in hell, people are falling victim to the white-hot wrath of a holy God. And there's no doubt that every moment of eternal hell is in the presence of that white-hot wrath and fury of God as judge. I'm going to tell you what. There ain't nothing on this list. You can keep just one out of seven. There is nothing on this list that makes me want to try it out. There is nothing on this list that I'm willing to say, yeah, that's okay. I'll tolerate that. I'll be okay if it's painful for eternity or lonely for eternity or separated from eternity. I'll be okay if just one of those things. No, there's nothing on this list that is at all compelling to me whatsoever. And our lost and dying friends, neighbors, and family members are on the same road that we were on were it not for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But preacher, but preacher, you mean, but, but there's, they're good people. They're good people. Good people aren't going to go to hell. They're good. They do nice things for other folks. They're good, preacher. I want to give you a list of all the good things in hell. I want to give you a list of all the good things in hell. Good people are in hell. I know our Sunday school answer is that there's no such thing as good people, right? The Bible says there's no one righteous, no, not one. So, so we all agree that, that on a deep theological level, there's no good people. But let's just be honest. There's some good folks around, right? I've met good people based on human standards that are pretty decent folks. In fact, I've met lost people who are better, quote-unquote, than some safe folks. Don't believe me? Go meet a Mormon. You won't out-nice a Mormon. They're good as gold. If you've got Mormon neighbors, count yourself blessed. Because they'll be quiet after dark. They're not having loud, raucous parties. 
But listen, they've all missed the gospel. We want to make the rich guy in the story out to be a bad guy. What a jerk. He wouldn't even share the crumbs off his table with Lazarus, right? I mean, who of us wouldn't let, the, let, let a poor man have the crumbs off our table? Well, listen, I'm going to tell you something. I believe the rich man is better. I think I can go out on a limb here. I believe the rich man is better than every single one of us in the room today. Say, preacher, no, that man's in hell. I'm, there's no way he's better than I am. I know he's better than me. You know how I know he's better than me? Because if I went home today after this service and I got to my house and there was a homeless man wrapped up in a blanket with a cup leaned up against my mailbox in my driveway, what am I going to do? I might give him something to eat today. But if he comes back tomorrow, there's going to come a point in time where I look at that man and I say, you are not welcome in my driveway anymore. And if you don't get out of my driveway, Walker County Sheriff's Department is going to come and help you find a new driveway to lay in. Anybody agree with me? What did the rich man do? He let Lazarus lay in his driveway every single day. Every single day, this rich man let Lazarus lay in his driveway. So while the rich man may not have been generous, he's better than I am because I wouldn't let Lazarus lay in my driveway every single day. I'd be tired of driving around him. There's good people in hell. The rich man was way kinder than I would be. So if you're hung up on the fact that you don't think you're going to hell because you're good, then you need to understand that you can go to hell as a good man. Hell is full of good men and good women, full of people who were kind and courteous and nice, but who never got right with Jesus. You know what else is good in hell? We're told, we see here that good vision is in hell. We're told that the rich man could see he could see. He had vision so good that he could see what he was missing. The rich man was able to see Lazarus and see the, the glory in which Lazarus was now living. He was able to see that which he could not see in life. And that vision, likely adding to his torment, we've been... Uh, doing some, some dieting things this, uh, this first month. And it's been interesting having to do without things like bread. Uh, I'm a, I've got a weakness for, for apple fritters. We were at Costco the other day, and they've got these things six to a box. And we walked by it, and I just thought, oh, if I could just have one. I, I said, Heather, I said, do you think I could just open up and lick one? Because seeing what you can't have and knowing you can't have it and knowing how much you'd love to have it only makes it harder to do without. This poor old rich fella could see everything he was missing with his good vision. And it only added to his torment. You know what else good is in hell? Good prayers are in hell. Johnny Hunt said this about this man. He said, if this man had prayed the prayer in his life that he prayed from hell, he wouldn't have gone to hell. 
He prayed that God would have mercy on him. If he had just simply taken the time to pray that prayer when he was still alive, he'd be in a different situation altogether. That's the essence of every sinner's prayer that's ever been prayed. That's the engine behind every conversion. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Mercy that's made available through the shed blood of Jesus. Every single person who's been saved has prayed that prayer. If not verbatim, they've acknowledged the spirit of it in their heart. The rich man, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. The fourth good thing in hell. There's good memory in hell. Look at verse 25. Abraham said, Child, remember. Remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. The rich man is told to remember his life. That tells us there's going to be memories in hell. There's going to be memories of all the opportunities that were squandered that could have sent you in a different direction. It's going to be memories of this sermon today. It's going to be memories of Thanksgiving dinner with family, Christmas songs on the radio. There's going to be memories of playing catch in the yard and swimming at the beach. There's going to be memories of seeing your children born and memories of tucking them in at night. And every moment of your torment you're reminded in all those memories that you never took the time to consider Jesus' offer of salvation. There's good theology in hell. You've heard it said there's no atheists in foxholes. Can we just all agree there's no atheists in hell? Everyone in hell believes the Bible. They all know that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. The Bible even makes this clear to us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. The Bible there says, everyone on earth, everyone in heaven, and then he continues, everyone under the earth will bow and say that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everybody in hell will get it right. There's good priorities in hell. Listen to this. People in hell believe in evangelism. People in hell believe in evangelism. I wonder this. Does the population of hell worry more about who's going to hell than the church worries about who is going to hell? This rich man had a prayer list, and guess what? He had five people on his prayer list that he intercedes for. Just send somebody to talk to my brothers so they don't come here. Just send somebody to talk to my brothers so that they don't show up here. I've asked several times over the last four weeks. He had five. Who's your one? 
good intentions are in hell. You've heard the phrase, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I believe this to be true. Hell is full of people who never intended to go there. Never intended. They heard the gospel and said, I'll put it off today. Maybe tomorrow. I've got some things planned. I need to do those first. Maybe tomorrow. Stories told of the Roman emperor Constantine who decided that though he was the one who Christianized the Roman Empire that he was going to wait until his deathbed to finally convert hoping that he could live his life as a wild, wild individual before finally surrendering. Hell is full of people who never wanted to go there. This morning, you need to consider this most important truth. Don't miss this. Hell wasn't prepared for you. Hell wasn't prepared for you. The Bible makes this very clear. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The, the Lord's desire is that everyone would repent, that no one would perish. Over in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, I love what he says here. He will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, meaning the lost. Where? Into the eternal fire. Prepared for who? The devil and his angels. Doesn't say depart and, and go to that place that I've been working on for you, that hot place. It says go to the place that I actually prepared for the devil and, the angel, and his angels. Hell's not prepared for you. God's desire is that you would be saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. John 14, verse 1 says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do not know him. You, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place. The place that he's got for us, he is preparing for us. Hell's not prepared for you. Jesus wants more than anything you to give your life and follow him today. That's his desire, not to cast people into hell. His desire is that everyone would repent and come to faith in Jesus Christ. Heaven is prepared for you. He's preparing it even to this day. And he wants to give you the keys. Now, you certainly can choose your own way. You can choose to ignore the warning. But if you do, you need to recognize you do so at your own peril. The door is open to you today. But this door may never be open to you again like it is in this moment.
You may have good intentions to get this right at some time, but I'm warning you that you may not have the opportunity to get it right again. And you'll be condemned in the midst of your best intentions. All it takes today is to repent from your sins, recognizing to God that you're a sinner, asking God for mercy and for Jesus to come into your life as your Savior and your Lord. Would you bow your heads today? Some of you husbands today need to lean over to your wife and you simply need to say, honey, I need to be saved. Some of the ladies in the room today, you need to recognize before God right now that you've been paying lip service, but that you understand that if your soul were demanded of you today, that you would wake up in hell. There are children and teenagers in the room today who feel God is tugging at their heart. You need to tell your mom or dad, you need to get this right today. There are folks sitting in the balcony today. You feel like you are as spiritually as far away from God as you are physically away from this altar at this moment. Today before God, you need to receive an offer of rescue. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a hymn. We're going to give you an opportunity today to get this right. We're going to give you the opportunity today to, to take the exit off the interstate that you're on, to, to change your destination today. Listen, don't get saved because you're scared of hell. Get saved because there's a God who loves you. But God certainly wants us to be afraid of such a thing. God has made every possible way for you to get this right today. In just a moment, when we stand and sing, I'm going to invite you, if you're here and you know you've been wrong, you know you've been outside of where you need to be, you know that if your soul were demanded from you right now, you know what the answer is. When we begin singing, I would invite you just to come down front and say, Pastor, I need to give my life to Christ today. I, I'm a sinner, and I ask God for mercy through the blood of Jesus. He died for my sins. He was buried, and he rose again, and one day he's returning. And when he returns, I want to be in that great host that greets him as Savior and Lord, not as one who fears him as judge. Just a moment, I'm going to give you that opportunity. Don't be afraid of anybody around you. Don't be afraid of what anybody's going to think about you. In this moment, in this place, in this time, the hand is extended, and he wants to offer you forgiveness. Will you take it today? Or will you push his hand away yet again? Lord, in these moments, would you speak loudly into the ears of those with whom you are working and would you silence the words of the enemy? Lord, would you allow those who are far from you right now in their sin to feel the need and the compulsion today to get it right today? Lord, give them the courage to just come and
take my hand, take Spencer's hand, to get it right, to accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.